Hey everybody, welcome to the Lake Mount Leadership Podcast. This is a podcast designed to equip you and to help you take your leadership to the next level. Uh, whether you serve on teams or lead teams at our church at Lake Mount Worship Center, um, this is going to be super beneficial for you to hear our pastor and some of uh, what he's got to say, uh, kind of behind the scenes, if you will. So I hope you enjoy it. Get ready. Here's my conversation with Pastor Matt Tapley. Well, hey, Pastor Matt. Um, it's good to see you again. It's nice to sit down and continue this conversation we had. Last time we had talked, we, we were chatting about um, the presence of God. It's where we left off about not presuming that God's in it, but really um, intentionally making room for the presence of God. Mm. And uh, I thought it would be a good place to start today by talking about, um, because this is a local church podcast, we're talking about Lake Mount, what God's doing here in this local church family. I thought it'd be great to talk about our mission statement. So for those of you that are listening, you probably already know it, but if you don't, it's simply connecting people to the life-changing presence of Jesus Christ. Do you want to kind of unpack that, Pastor Matt, maybe how you got to that and why it's so important to the DNA of this house? Yeah, um, I think when we actually landed on that, we actually had a whole leadership weekend um, when I first stepped into the lead role, got got every strata of leaders together, and we just kind of went through what matters most to us as a church. And as we were talking, the words that came out, you know, we had a mediator just kind of helping us put those kind of key themes on the wall. Kind of one of those, you know, big paper post-it, you know, scribble with a marker mm-hmm. kind of work group thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but it really was important to me that it didn't become just kind of a phrase that you hang on a wall somewhere, right. but it really resonated with who we were. And this value for the presence of God, you know, is just something that is, um, yeah, it's it's been at the core of who we are here uh, at, at Lake Mount for a long time. And so, I yeah, I think it is good to dig into just because I think there are different theologies that can sometimes drive people's understanding and then potential misunderstanding um, of what we're saying. I think that sometimes people talk about the presence of God um, and... You'll hear people say things that are true. I love that when you go to court and you're under oath, you have to say the the truth, the whole truth, and nothing, nothing but, but the truth. truth. I think just you know having an angle of truth, but if it's not the whole truth, you're missing a significant part. Right. So people say things like, you know what? Why do we always pray that God would you know be with us in our service or you know be with <laughs> us as we gather? God's everywhere. Right. You know, and so people almost you know have this defeatist mindset like you're you're somehow like a poor theologian that you want the presence of God where can't God be David said if I yeah. we even went to the depths of hell there you are with me blah 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 so you know there you go you presence people you you know you're you're wrong right right um and so I'm not saying it from a defensive standpoint I'm just kind of speaking to sometimes the argument that surfaces in the room about the presence of God as as um, distinct from omnipresence. Right. Um, it is a theological truth that God is everywhere all the time. Uh, the fact is, you know, we know that Jesus is God. Mm-hmm. And when he was here in human form, he wasn't omnipresent. Well, does that mean he ceased being God? No, this is that whole, you know, tension between the, the divinity and um, humanity of Christ 
is that he laid aside the independent use of those yeah. relative attributes right. of what it is to be God. Yeah, so yeah. he took on the form of a servant. So Jesus went into one place at one time, yet in nature, Philippians 2, in nature he's God. So we know God's everywhere all the time, and yet there was Jesus distinctly manifesting unique presence by his physical form, being in one place at one time. What would it feel like if Jesus walked into the room? Well, we read it in the Gospels. Yeah. When Jesus would walk down the street and a blind guy could feel him coming. Like yeah. the, the presence that was more than just your physical presence or mine. Faith started to emerge. You know, he's screaming at the top of his lungs, Son of David, have mercy on me. Yeah. What is that? that? That's more than just, I mean, how does a blind guy know he's coming? It, he's feeling it. He's, he, there's the presence the the you know there's all kinds of stuff on that on the anointing you've heard me teach on that but for for my purpose here what we're talking about here today I just I I think it is it is incomplete to say because God's everywhere all the time we can therefore just assume His presence in whatever we're doing right and what I mean by that is of course God's everywhere all the time that's you know that is incumbent with being God right for me and for this house. I think where our core value would find its most explicit um, conversation and theological derivative would be Exodus 33. And you have Moses, uh, you know, he's having this discussion with God, looking at his leadership assignment and just feeling like, man, I don't know how I'm going to do this. God, you said that I found favor with you and you said that you're going to help me, you know, but I just, I just really need, uh, you know, I, I need your help. I need your presence. And... God says in Exodus 33, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. And Moses says, if your presence doesn't go with us, uh-huh. don't send us up from here. Wow. And then he asks some really amazing questions. How would anybody know that we're your people? How would anyone know you're pleased with me as the leader? What sets us apart from everyone else except for that your presence is with us? Right. And so... The, the fact is, if you read that text through the filter of omnipresence, it's complete gibberish. Right, because God is everywhere all the He's time. He's everywhere all the time. So so what is Moses and God talking about? If they're talking about, hey, God, you know how you're everywhere all the time? Be everywhere all the time with me and with us. But really be with us. Right, so it's not omnipresence. There's, yeah. a, there's a distinction. And so, I mean, let's let's face it that God's unique, right? So... God's the only one who can actually be more in one place than he previously was. <laughs> like, I mean, you can only be one place in one time. Right. God's everywhere all the time, but then he can manifest his presence. Right. So that was what I was going to ask. It seems like, it seems like though we say words like manifest or even like the Shekinah glory, that there's a true distinction between God just being everywhere and him manifesting. That's the key word. He manifests himself. Right. But where does he manifest himself? So, you know, I again, I think what you can pick up from Exodus 33 is you have you have this prayerful intention that this actually I would say like an anointed stubbornness in Moses. I don't want to succeed without your presence. Right. Which is what God offered him. You know, anointed go, stubbornness. Yeah, like go, 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 lead these people and take them into the promised land. I'm just not coming with you. Right. And he's like, no, I, I would stay here in this wilderness with you, than I would rather that than go into a promised land, without you. I, I don't want 
crowds and I don't want success and I don't want a big building and I don't want, I want you here. I, so for me, I think we have to dispense with the idea that discerning and knowing the manifest presence of God is somehow uh, spiritually elite. Like the, the real top shelf charismatic people talk that way. Um, it's kind of Christianity 101. Right. Um, you know, yes, this is a leadership conversation that Moses is having, saying, unless you go with us. So he, there's this knowability. I'll know you're with me and I'll know you're not. Yeah. And I don't want to step without you. But, I mean, if you fast forward to 1 Corinthians 14 and Paul's given instruction about worship at a local church level, Paul said, if you've got people prophesying, speaking in tongues, gifts of the Spirit are in operation, you know, all of this stuff's happening at a local church level. He said even an unbeliever would walk in and go, God is here. Yeah, and the secrets of my heart are laid bare. Right. But the fact is, if an unbeliever can discern the presence of God, certainly Christians should be able to. Certainly right. leaders should be able yeah. to. Like, there, we should be able to discern and it not be some spiritually elite judgment call, but just be able to like engage in a worship service and go, God, why aren't you here? And that question perplexes people. Right. Because look, God's everywhere. We're talking about manifest presence. What Lord, what what is it that you want to do here today? Mm-hmm. And and I don't want to have church without God. Mm-hmm. I don't I don't want to have church without the presence of Jesus. Right. And so I think if Moses said it was possible to lead God's people into their mission without the presence of God. I think it's possible for churches to try to accomplish what they're doing without the presence of Jesus. Even Jesus said, was it Revelation 3? When he's, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice, come open the door and I'll come in. I mean, he's not talking to unbelievers. He's talking to a church. That's a letter to the church. So what what invites the presence of God? Prayerful dependence, anointed stubbornness, you know, uh, Psalm 22, 3, he inhabits, he sits in the throne on the praises of his people. Jesus said, where two or three gather in my name, there right. I am. I think it's it's that stubborn position of, we don't want to just do ministry, have church, do whatever. We want the presence of God. Which all of that, that sounds just like a pure definition of what it means to hunger for God. Right. Like, like a true hunger where you won't be satisfied with anything else. Yeah, and where, you know, where... Okay, so you've heard me say this before, like where for every truth, it's like a road. There's two ditches on either side. Yeah. The, the, the reality is, is um, God actually does call us into experience. Now, the ditch on either side of that is you can become so experiential that you toss Scripture aside. Right. Or you can become, um, you know, on the other side of experience, just go, you know, I just take it by faith and you don't have any real sense and I mean sensory reality of the presence of God mm. and and there are seasons in life where maybe we dip on either sides of those ditches maybe you're going through a low season where you're not feeling God at all well faith is just putting one step in front of the other and keep going we yeah, talked about right. that in the last in the last podcast but where we're called one of my core verses life verses um, so yes Exodus 33 but Psalm 34 8 Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. That that there is a God calls us into an experience. Taste, taste and see, mm-hmm. right? Like like experience me. God's saying, don't don't take my goodness. Don't take don't take the fact that I'm good. Don't take my word for it. 
experience it. Right. God says, take my word for it. Avoid sin. Don't go experience it. Right. Avoid, avoid destroying your life and avoid, you know, all of the kind of the path of the fool. Take my word for it. But when it comes to my goodness, when it comes to my glory, when it comes to my presence, taste it, see it, experience it. Right. You know, God, God actually calls us into experience. And sometimes I think people get a little nervous about that. I don't want to be experiential. Right. I don't want to be experience based. I don't want to be experience based, but I want experience. Hmm. I'm, I'm not here to just live like a robot, just believing it's true, just because I think God wants me to know. Yeah. By experience and so I want to pray I want to worship I right. want to have that stubbornness to say God I don't want to do this without you I want that's to so feel good. you here right you know that's so cool let's let's take this now um, so if there's some young leaders listening some young church leaders that philosophy for a church is is amazing it's biblical there's no argument against it but let's take it now and let's measure it against um, how local churches function today in 2019 because you often hear, and you kind of alluded to it, um, you know, you kind of get labeled as like a presence church. Mm-hmm. Like for the low-hanging fruit would be like, there's like the Bethels and the Hillsongs. And we pit, you know, churches against each other right. because we'll say one's more presence-driven. And right. I want to attach a quote, and if I misquote it, you can correct me, that you said that good theology is that God is everywhere. Right. But better theology is that God is where we really want him or we really hunger i guess where we're really anointed in our stubbornness for him Hmm. and you always attach that to second chronicles 7 i think so the dedication of the temple so if we're making this about a local church setting now Mm -hmm. in in how a service functions right describe the presence of god that that real hunger for him to be here not just you know here like he always is right yeah i i i think the that hunger for the manifest presence of God says that that in whatever I'm doing, so local church level. So let's let's just take this down to a um, you know a Sunday gathering. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I don't want to just get good at singing songs about Jesus, inviting people to our programs throughout the rest of the week, take up an offering, and preaching a message about Jesus, and then see you next week. I don't want to just get good at the at the elements that go into a service. I want to I want to anticipate a living God encountering us at any point of our gathering. And so that that Second Chronicles six and seven, the dedication of Solomon's temple, what what leaps there is we know the story is they took seven years. They built this temple. You know, it's stunning artisan work. They've, I mean, they've, they've just, they've knocked it out. You've got worship teams that have rehearsed and, you know, practiced their songs. Everyone's got, you know, the trumpet solos lined up. Like, everything's set. And then they pick a dedication day. And I'm going to just put it this way. Solomon picked the day. You know, dedication of the temple is going to be whatever august right. circle it on your calendar yeah put, put it on your calendar everybody 10 o'clock sunday morning you know we're going to meet with god what's amazing to me is god put it on his calendar clearly wow. and what i mean is when when you read the story of the dedication of solomon's temple they they begin and just say give thanks to the lord he's good his love endures forever 
the glory of God actually tangible. So we use words like glory all the time, but biblically it's actually a substance that you could actually see. This cloud comes and fills the temple. Wow. And all the priests fall on their faces. Everything that they prepared for months and years is gone. Out the window. God's here. <laughs> right? So if that frustrates you, and I don't know how biblical you want to build. Like, like we have to be willing to sacrifice even right. our preparation. But I had a 32-minute worship service yeah, plan. Yeah, I nailed my guitar solo. Right. You know, my sermon was so tight. And you have all that lined up, and then God comes. Uh-huh. We have to just say, like, by all means, Lord, you do what you want. Yeah. And so what, what is stunning to me is you don't, like, you don't read of the dedication of Solomon's temple and it be... Uh, actually, three weeks before the dedication, while the team of drywallers were putting the last touches on the you know upper corners of the building, the glory of God came. Or while they were having a worship practice on the you know the night before, the glory of God came. Or while they were working through how are we going to do the ceremony, how are we going to? No, it was the day that Solomon picked. God honored it, and He said that time and that geography, I'm going to meet you there. Because you've designated it as a place of encounter, that's where I'm going to come. Where your expectation is high, that's where I'm going to come. So that's where you've heard me say that phrase about, you know, that becoming aware and being mindful of the presence of the Lord. Right. That I think we, we want to come on a Sunday morning anticipating that we're going to meet with God. Because Solomon's Temple gives us this picture of God. Right. I, like God could have come three weeks early. Yeah. He could have come two days later. He came on the date that Solomon picked. And he had prepared for it. And he came with might. He came with glory. He came with that. So that everything they had prepared became like a burnt offering, so to speak. Right. They just It was just like, never mind. The glory of God's here. Wow, that's actually that's actually really good right there. Do you, do you think that there's, there's just a mental switch we need to take where instead of just preparing and acting as if that is the goal... We need to prepare everything with that mindset of this is actually just a burnt offering. Yeah, like to to me, it's a it, my foregone. It sounds simple, but that actually just kind of changed something in my mind. Right, the way you said that. Well, because I think we sometimes, I think sometimes it it's it's our strength being used against us. God, I'm going to prepare. I'm going to study. Right. I'm going to work. We're going to we're going to really polish this up. We're going to do our best. We're going to make this beautiful for you. Right. So you know, we're not winging it. We're not flying by the seat of our pants. We're prepared. I think sometimes some people, you know, maybe on a more cynical edge, might assume that a quote-unquote presence-based, you know, whatever you want to say, revival church, right, worship yeah. church, just they're just you know rolling in with a guitar and yo, know, give me the key of G and let's just right. meet God. Zero preparation. Zero prep, and then I'll flip the Bible open and let's just start preaching something, and then <laughs> we'll all roll on the ground for a few minutes and go home. The the reality is. There's a lot of prep and a lot of right. of heart work that goes into um, crafting a time of corporate worship and gathering and coming, you know, to meet with God. But the willingness to say, I always look at like a science experiment, the constant and the variable. I always remember that from grade nine science. When you're doing an experiment, you have the constant and the variable. Right. So if my constant is I have this dish of baking soda. And the variable is I threw some salt on it, didn't do anything. I threw a little ba- you know, baking powder on it. I threw a little flour on it, nothing, nothing, nothing. Throw a little water on it, hmm, interesting. It kind of changes, becomes more liquefied. Throw some vinegar on it, right? 
you have the variable is the salt and the vinegar and the water and all that stuff. The constant is the baking soda. I think sometimes, unknowingly, we can get in the trap of what I'm offering to God are songs that we've prepared, the announcements, the sermon that I've prepared. That's the constant. The variable is the presence of God might come. The variable is God might show up, right. and then we then we go okay, wow, God's really here. But the constant is we've got our stuff together. I think that equation needs to be flipped. I think it needs to be the constant is God always wants to come. That's right. He inhabits the praises of His people every time. Where two or three gathered in His name, there I am. When He comes, that's the constant. The variable is so we sing two songs. Right. The variable is so. You know, we we shorten the sermon, we extend the prayer time, or we extend the sermon, or we extend the worship time. We we're flowing with, and I use that word flow because there's these images of the Holy Spirit, like wind, like water, like you know, we're we're moving where He's moving, but we're partnering with Him because when His presence comes, does God come with empty hands, and empty pockets just like oh uh you rang you know like you you're worshiping cool i'm here now no he comes right. with healing in his wings he comes with glory with might with power he comes to heal hearts he comes with intention to to you know to bring us into a taste and see encounter of his goodness yeah. he does he doesn't come empty-handed so why would i why would i build as though he's not going to come and why would I be so rigid that if he did, I'd be kind of like, Holy Spirit, could you just calm yourself down? It's almost to say that we care about people more than God does. And you've heard me say that many right. times. When yeah. when we get nervous about, well, if we have, what if what if someone starts speaking in tongues on a Sunday morning? What, what if, will people think? Yeah, what if, I'm, what if someone brought their friend for the first time and we all got our hands up and we're crying singing? Weirded out. And then, you know, there's a prophetic word from the front and we call people forward to pray. People are going to be weirded out. I mean, that is this myth, this idea like I care more about people than the Holy Spirit does. Like, the question I always ask people is, well, what makes you so special? How come you understand? Why do you understand a prophetic word? Why do you, why do you get that lifting your hands makes sense? Why are you, you're some different breed than your friend? <laughs> right. Right? It's just so weird. It's like, yeah, but I get it. Yeah, but why do you get it? What? Why, why do you get it? Well, because I'm a Christian. Right. So How do you get there? So, yeah, how do you get there unless you're in the environment? You know, I, I, I think it's funny. You go to, you know, different, uh, you know, low-hanging fruit. Like, so you go to Starbucks. You don't ask for a medium coffee. You ask for a grande. Right. Because they've got their own vocabulary there. Yeah. And it's okay. You learn the vocabulary to fit in. You learn the vocabulary to, to make it through Starbucks. And it's actually kind of cool. You kind of enjoy it. And then, you know, if you're like me, sometimes you end up at some other coffee shop and you say grande and they look at you like, what are you talking about? Right. Like trying to get a happy meal from, from Wendy's, you know. But the, 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 the point is to be okay that there is a vocabulary yeah. and there is a culture that if someone actually is looking for God, wouldn't it make sense that God is bigger than the best program I could make in 45 minutes? Right. Like if I'm really looking for God, wouldn't it kind of make sense that a huge God who created everything could interrupt a service if he felt like it right like that makes sense to me and even if an unbeliever comes in like what's one of the testimonies we hear so many times on a sunday morning unbelievers come in 
I just felt, I started crying. I started crying. Right. I just like, it, it's, that's got to be almost 100%. Like someone just comes, I don't know why I cry when I I'm in here. I just felt emotional. <laughs> I just felt, and they're try, I love listening to an unbeliever try to find a vocabulary for the presence of God. Right. And they're like, I don't know, I just felt God. I don't, I don't know what I felt, but I love, I, I felt, I felt peace. I felt, they're feeling God. Uh-huh. And the secrets of the heart being laid bare. And then, you know, the worship is pointing them to Jesus. The word is exposing who Jesus is. Yeah. And they're, they're like connecting the dots and the Holy Spirit's doing it. He loves them more than we do. Right. Why would he bring them into a service where he would give us gifts that we weird everybody out? Do you think he might know more about people than we do? And do you think the gifts that he gives us might actually draw people instead of push people? Do you think that's why we steer away from what we've kind of labeled uh, tongue-in-cheek Christianese? Because it's one more thing that might weird people out about the way we talk. So, for instance, some people don't want to call it the sanctuary. It's the auditorium. Right. Um, we don't want to call it a sermon. We want to call it a talk. Right. But even some of the words you find in the Bible that you don't use every day. Like what right. do you, what, what's your view on that, on Christianese? Well, again, my view on that is I think that we, I want to educate people. Right. I want to give them a vocabulary. And if I'm going to be talking about God, it makes sense that there's some vocabulary that actually is uniquely His. Why would I? Oh, that's really good. Well, why would I talk about? Do we even know what the word holy means? Like, why would I talk about a, a holy God in the most common of language? Right. Why would I? Why would I just try to make this so so quote unquote user friendly that it doesn't even sound like it's supernatural? It doesn't even sound like God's big. It sounds like He's like. It sounds like he's my life coach who wants to help me do better in, you know, the, the key areas of my life. Isn't God bigger than a coach? Couldn't he speak and create something? Couldn't he create faith in me? Couldn't he make a new creation of me? Couldn't he speak into my life in such a way that I'm, I'm forever changed? And all it looks like is that I walked into a building for two hours and left. But what it was was an encounter with God in his presence, and I'm different. Right. I've been born again. I've been transformed. I've been transformed by the renewing of my mind. So I want to help actually educate, give people a vocabulary of, 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 like Paul talks about, I communicate spiritual truths in spiritual words. And then actually, Paul unapologetically says that the message of the cross is, is foolishness to the perishing. He doesn't even say, he doesn't even say they think it's foolishness. It, to them, it is. Right. But to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. Well, what am I going to do? Try to make it sound smart? When the fact is, he also said that I could, by my words, empty the cross of its power. You lower the bar to what I, it actually means to follow God. Right. So I always say, like, to me, like, local church is like a one-room schoolhouse. It's, you know, like my mom, when she was a kid, she grew up out in Drayton, like out like Mennonite country. And she went to, when she went to school, it was one-room schoolhouse. That means kindergartens were in the same classroom as grade 12. And so while I'm talking shapes and colors with the five-year-olds, then I cross over onto this chalkboard and I start doing algebra with the grade 12s. Well, what happens? The grade 12 is being reminded, oh yeah, shapes, colors, numbers, the basics... And it's, it's not like that's stupid. If I don't have that, I can't be where I am. I right. need that reminder. By the same token, the kindergartner is sitting there hearing concepts that are way above his or her head. And she's thinking, 
I want to know that one day. Getting hungry for it. And I almost start picking some stuff up by osmosis. Right. I'm in the room and I wow. get algebra concepts based on I'm ma- mathematical mind. But the but the literary kid is sitting there going, oh, what's that? And then he's six years old and he loves Shakespeare. And he loves, because he's, he's picking it up in the room. And so I think if we reduce it all to kindergarten, we end up with a bunch of kindergartners. And if we just go all high-minded, we end up where we don't have any, any quote-unquote fresh, uh, new, new believer, you know, first love. But, but if we can speak spiritual truth and spiritual language and understand there's a spectrum of people on the journey, we can invite everybody into an encounter with God. Wow. Man, there's so much here. So much here. The, the presence of God being our aim and focus making a priority for the presence, but all the while not being apologetic for what comes with that. Right. And doing things, I guess, so to speak, by God's rider. Right. And there's so many ways that even even in my own life, personally, but corporately that I see all throughout Canada and North America, the whole world really, where we've just dumbed down the gospel and we've robbed the power from the presence of God because we (laughs) genuinely think that we love people more than God does. Yeah, and then... Two things I would say to it. So from just a contemporary view, look at the church that's thriving around the world. I don't mean North America. I don't, I don't mean think of the biggest right. American church. The underground church in China. The, the, the church in Brazil, the church in Argentina, the church uh, in, in many African continents. I was in Ethiopia, or on the continent of Afri- African countries. I was in Ethiopia a couple years ago. I mean, thriving. What's happening? Persecution doesn't seem to hinder it at all. Yeah. But what's happening? It is a charismatic, Holy Spirit, miracle signs and wonders presence of God church. Uh-huh. We're over here trying to perfect it into this Lights, perfect little science. Smoke. Yeah. And so rooms. from that contemporary example, it's like I I think I think what's thriving isn't the perfected forty five minutes. From a biblical perspective, it, I would just ask a question. Was Jesus willing to offend? Wow. And the fact is, I mean, there are many times Jesus just, I mean, he wasn't chasing people. He was presenting truth. He let the rich young ruler walk away. He said to one of his largest crowds, eat my flesh and drink my blood, and didn't explain himself. (laughs) Until everybody walks away going, this guy's, literally, the quote from John 6 is, this guy's demon-possessed, and he doesn't even explain it. Right. And it's like, and and you have Jesus, you know, he walks into the temple courts, and he takes a whip, and he beats people. What authority are you doing this by? What authority was John's baptism? He gets out of that one. Like, was Jesus willing to offend? We have to admit, yeah. Do we want to be intentionally offensive? No. Not, not you know, creating roadblocks because of our cultural imperative. But do we want to present a supernatural God as my best buddy life coach? Or do we want to present him as a supernatural God who actually can change your whole life in a moment if you would give him your whole life? thanks for joining us for another episode of the lake mount leadership podcast make sure you stay tuned on whatever platform you use for podcast streaming for some more episodes that are going to come down in the next couple of weeks we hope you have an amazing day 
And uh, feel free to share this episode with someone you know, a leader, a friend, someone in your family. Um, I just believe that everyone can be inspired from what our lead pastor has to say. So God bless you. Have an amazing day.